Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus no matter what you're going through today. You know, there's a lot of different ideas out there about having the Holy Spirit in your life, being baptized with or being filled with the Spirit. Today, we're going to take a look at what the New Testament really says about how you can be filled with the Spirit. So we're talking about standing in the power of the Holy Spirit, and today I want to talk a little bit about what the Bible says about being filled with the Spirit being filled with the Spirit. And I hope you're going to take good notes because I got a lot of ground I want to cover today. But, you know, I just, how many of you guys are like me? You got a cabinet full of mismatched coffee mugs in your kitchen. Yeah, anybody? Okay, so about half of you. Yeah, I know when you first get married... You know, you got all the beautifully matching sets of everything. You got all the cookware. You got all the plates and the cups and everything all matches and looks nice. Then you have kids, right? Am I right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Have kids. Stuff gets broken. Stuff gets lost. Stuff stuff just, you know, uses up over time. And so, you know, before you know it, you turn around. And if you're like me, nothing matches anymore. You got a pot of this and a plate of that. And you got a bowl from here. And you got dog dishes mixed in with people dishes and just all kinds of everything. And we started off with all the matching, beautiful coffee mugs. But now we've been on about a thousand vacations and we always get a coffee mug from everywhere. Are you like that yeah yes no okay so we got tall ones short ones fat ones skinny ones we got all all different colors and if you're like me on a Saturday morning you go into the kitchen to get the coffee I'm pretty good. I make the coffee the night before. I grind it up in the grinder, you know, set the thing to automatic, and I just, I get up, and there's hot coffee waiting for me. So all I got to do is I got to go into the kitchen, and right over the coffee maker, we have the coffee cup cabinet, and that's where I keep my favorite coffee mug. Do you have a favorite coffee mug? Yeah, okay, so I got to sometimes look around. Where's my favorite coffee mug? You know, it's in there somewhere, and I got to find the right one, the right, how skinny it is, how tall it is, how, what color it is, and I got to find my coffee mug and, and pull it out because that's my coffee mug. It's from that trip, or it has that saying, or it's that color, or it's just the right height, or whatever it is, you got your favorite. You choose your coffee cup. That's your cup. You're all about the cup. Yeah, see, it says whatever it says. That identifies me, <laughs> my coffee cup. And then, you, you know, I don't know how you are. You know, I'm, I'm pretty careless. You know, I'll grab the coffee cup out, slam the thing, put the coffee cup down, and then I get the carafe, and I pour the carafe in. And you ever have that thing where the, the dogs are barking at you or the kids are rolling around and you're not quite paying attention? Shush, 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 shush. And before you know it, you, you've got too much coffee in the coffee. You get it filled all the way up to just, just the top. You don't spill it, but it's all the way filled to the very, very top, right? And then you want to you spend your minute that you need every morning, you know, with the coffee. So you got to go over there to the kitchen table with your coffee cup. So what do you do? You know, it's filled all the way up. So you, you know, you're very, very careful. You're not careless anymore. And you're like, oh, I got to get the coffee over to the coffee table. No sudden movements, you know, and, and gently place it down. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because you're looking at me like I'm an idiot. That's what I, yeah, I should be used to it by now, right? And you finally, you get, over to the, you get over to the kitchen table 
And finally, you, oh, it's nice and warm now, and you, you raise it up, and you take that first little, that little sip off the top, you know. Oh, it's so good, right? And suddenly, you know, you've been all, at first you were all about the cup, but now you're not about the cup. What are you all about? The coffee. You're all about the coffee. You're all about what has filled it. You're, you're all about that fresh, strong, bold blend that's steaming. Oh, and come on, it's not about that. It's about the caffeine, am I right? <laughs> it's about injecting you with energy for the day. So you, you take that thing and oh, it's so good. And there's just something about sitting with the sun coming in and drinking a little bit of coffee. It's just wonderful, isn't it? It's all about what that thing will deliver to you. It's wonderful. And so you sit there and you, and you drink your coffee for a few minutes and then after a little while, you've been drinking it, maybe, maybe someone else has come in, maybe your spouse has come in, you're talking and whatever. And before you know it, um, you look down and now it's only about that full, you know, just a little bit of, you know, tepid room temperature coffee. Nobody got time for that, am I right, Joyce? <laughs> Nobody got time for that. So what is it time for? It's time for it to be filled again, right? Microwave? No, ah, no. Mm. Don't microwave the coffee, man. Just make a whole new pot. That's what I say. Make a whole new pot. So time for it to be filled again. And I, I think, I think this is kind of like us. I think God has, you know, called you. He's chosen you. He's picked you to be His very own. And He wants you to be filled with Himself. Because when you are filled with the Spirit, it's no longer about you anymore. It's about what has filled you. It's about what He wants to deliver to you and through you into the world around you. So I want to talk about that just a little bit today uh, as we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I want to, before I get there, I want to kind of just acknowledge the fact that there's different teachings on this topic. Am I right? I mean, there's different camps. You go to some churches, and they're like the spiritual halves. You know, they've got the Spirit, and they're, you know, they got all the signs and all the evidence, and man, they do all the stuff, and man, they all have the, they got a lock on having the Spirit. And then you go to some other churches, and they've never heard of the Spirit, <laughs> You know, and uh, they're very different. They're not all vibrant and alive. They seem to be the, you know, the frozen chosen. You know what I'm talking about? And they're kind of stoic about it and quiet about it. Uh, and there's two different camps. And I just want to say, I just want to say, I just want to go ahead and let's just, can we just go ahead and confess for a second that both camps are on the same team can we just agree that we're all on the same team? You might have come from the crazy, loud, vibrant, you know, hallelujah, jumping around and everything, uh, foaming at the mouth camp. <laughs> but you're still a brother and a sister with those that come from the quiet, introspective, reverent, holy group. We're all brothers and sisters. If we're in Christ, we're one in Christ. And some of us, some of us are all about, all about experiencing the Holy Spirit. Some of us are all about the Holy Spirit theology. In fact, I want to illustrate it this way. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, these are kind of the way I sometimes see the two camps. You know, Christianity's a big tent, it's wide, and there's room for both. And so I, I see the experience camp on one side and the theology camp on the other side. For the theology camp, you know, they're the ones that say, 
Here's who the Holy Spirit is. Here's what the Word of God says about him. Here's how God has chosen to reveal himself to us in his Word. And so you have the Holy Spirit whether you know it or not. You just need to shut up about it. <laughs> you know, just kind of keep quiet about it. You have him, just you may not know it. That's the theology camp. The experience camp is all about, woo, we got the spirit, brother and sister, right? I mean, they're all about fully experiencing everything he has to offer, but they're not nearly as concerned with what the, God, the word actually says about it. And so my question today is really gonna be kind of, which one should it be? Should we really be concerned about exactly what the Bible says? Or should we say, look, I've experienced a lot. I know it's not in the Bible, but I've experienced a lot. Which should it be? I really think, this is the first blank on your page, that we need both camps. We need both camps. We need both full theological understanding and a full experience of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, I, I think the question for me is going to be, which one is the objective and which one is the subjective? That's the big question for me. Before we get all into what it means to be filled with the Spirit, I just wanna be really clear that I am unapologetically gonna stand in the camp that says, I will be led by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. I believe the Word of God is God's absolute truth revealed to us exactly the way He wants to. And we don't add to and we don't take away from the Word of God. It is the one thing that we can rely on even though our culture is going crazy and the definition of truth seems to be all over the place. I, is that a woman talking? Because I can't tell anymore in our culture today. <laughs> so the definition of the truth is changing, but the word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can I get an amen? amen? I believe God's revealed himself to us through his word. And so because of that, I choose to let his revelation define my experience, not the other way around. I'm not gonna be experience-driven and then try to cram the word into my experience. I'm gonna let God's word define truth and then I will view my experiences through the grid of what he says. Are, are, we, are we on the same page on that so far? Now, you may not fully agree or fully, you, now you're going, I'm not sure where you're going with this. It's okay. I'm just telling you that the word of God, the word of God is the expression of God to me. That's how he chooses to reveal himself. You know, so I, I could get deep, deep, deep into that, but I'm not. I'm just gonna ask you to go with me uh, on this little journey, uh, and we are going to submit ourselves to the objective truth of God's word. So this is tough. When you got two different kind of camps talking about how you experience God, how you are filled with him, you know, it's, it's tough because you got different kind of sides of this coin uh, that seem to say two completely different things. You got the theological camp that kind of says, look, you know, when you come into Christ, you also receive the Holy Spirit, period. And then you've got this experience group that says, you know, you come into Christ, you get saved, and then at a later time, later, you'll receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
it's spirit. It's salvation part two, the sequel, you know? Um, and it's kind of this whole different thing. And what's, what does the scripture really say about this? I think it's easy. It's easy for us to see why the experience side wants to build a case for a later act of the Holy Spirit coming into your life that doesn't come with salvation. Because if you look in the book of Acts, you see some experiences that seem to be like this. In fact, if you look in the book of Acts, there's four times, four times uh, right here listed on the screen where you see people who have gotten saved and then you see the Holy Spirit come on them at different times. Um, and, you know, just really quickly, the Pentecost, I feel like Pentecost is a little bit of the outlier on this. This is the day that Jesus promised would come when the Holy Spirit would come. The 120 believers are up in the, are gathered together and, and, you know, they're in the room and uh, crowded in there like us right now. And there's the, you know, rushing wind and the Holy Spirit comes. The place is shaken tongues of fire get settled on everybody's heads and then the, the uh, act says that the people began to speak in other languages as the spirit gave them utterance kind of a crazy wild thing the arrival of the holy spirit you go to samaria in acts 8 and um the people had believed um and then after they believed uh they it says received the holy spirit now i'm just going to go ahead and confess and admit that in acts 8 uh, the um there, there's nothing indicating that they received the holy spirit listed for us like the experience camp will tell you you only you know you have the spirit if you speak in tongues if you don't speak in tongues you don't have the holy spirit uh, in Samaria, it doesn't say they spoke in tongues. It doesn't say they prophesied. They didn't seem to demonstrate the signs. It just says they received the Holy Spirit. So I'll choose for now to read between the lines and believe they did speak in tongues because it was obviously very evident that they had received the Holy Spirit. They must have had some kind of sign there. You can look that up for yourself. Don't have time to go into it. Then there's some Gentiles at Cornelius's house Peter and John are sent there because they received the word, but they didn't receive the spirit. Some other Jewish people had apparently witnessed to them and they believed, but they weren't sure what to believe, I guess. So they sent some actual apostles to Cornelius' house. It was Peter and John. And they went and laid hands on them. And then they received the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. And then you get to Ephesus and Paul is there and he meets some believers and they had been believers for a while. Um, and then uh, Paul gets there and um, they, it turns out they were kind of believing the wrong thing. Not the wrong thing. They were believing John's gospel. Remember John the Baptist? His, his message was about repentance, but they didn't know about Jesus yet. So he tells them the gospel lays hands on them and the Holy Spirit comes. I, I, I can see why you would build a theology that you gotta have a second work of God because you kinda see that in, well, some of these, not all of them. Big problem is these experiences don't really match up. You know, at Pentecost, again, outlier. Samaria, I can see the two work thing happening in Samaria. Okay, I'll give you that one. In Cornelius' house, um, that's, a, that's kind of a bizarre one because uh, Peter, 
goes there and he's preaching to the Gentiles in Cornelius' house. There's apparently a bunch of them there. And as he's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on them and they begin speaking in tongues. Peter hadn't even got to the end of his sermon and hasn't given an invitation yet and they're already speaking in tongues. If you read the passage in Acts 10, Peter literally looks at the other apostles and goes, I I guess they're Christians now. Maybe we should baptize them. They must be Christians now. So in this case, the Holy Spirit comes as promised here in Pentecost, comes after they get saved in Samaria, comes before they can have an opportunity to get saved in Cornelius' house. And then in Ephesus, uh, they, it was after they actually believed for real. So the problem with these four is they don't really match up. Do you see what I'm saying? They're all a little different, and it's hard. It's hard to develop a solid theology off of four fragments that don't exactly fit together with the theology you want to build. Not only that, not only that, but these are the four, the four where the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, tongues, and prophecy happen, but there's five other personal salvation or conversion stories where tongues and baptism of the Holy Spirit and and prophecy don't occur at all. Not to mention that there are literally thousands of other people in the book of Acts that come to Christ and tongues and prophecy, baptism of the Holy Spirit, that way is not mentioned at all. So it's just... You know, I look at the theology of the second experience as doubtful. It's just doubtful. I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't have as many experiences as you can possibly have. I'm just saying that building your theology on four fragments that don't really even work and don't match up with, the, with most of the rest of the story is hard. It's hard. So I think, I actually think it's my responsibility and your responsibility to, when we build our theology, when we see God for who he is, is to go to the word and to expand beyond simply the stories. You see, what you got to remember about the stories in Acts is this, that Acts is, it's not a blank on your page, but it's on the screen. Acts is descriptive, not prescriptive. Acts happens at a very unique time in Christian history. Some strange, crazy, bizarre stuff is going on here as the Holy Spirit arrives and lets himself be known and as the gospel is being proclaimed for the first time. There's no Bible. There's no church networks. There's no denomination. There's none of that stuff. So the Holy Spirit is moving in unique ways and Acts describes it. But Acts is not a teaching book. It's, it's a historical book. It, it's not prescribing what you should do. It's describing what happened. Does that make sense so far? So I think it's my job to look not just in Acts, but to also look beyond Acts. In fact, there's 27 books of the New Testament. I got kind of a grid of the whole thing uh, here. And there's a lot more to this story than just this. Can we all agree on that? A lot more to this story, and I want to look at the whole counsel of the Scripture. Unfortunately, I got 20 minutes, 15 minutes left. I, I got to 
cram this in. I'm not even going to get to the Old Testament, so I just want to look a little bit at some of the not just descriptive things that happen, but some of these prescriptive things and see what these same apostles who were described in Acts, what they later prescribe for me after the fact. Is that cool? Okay, so that's what we're going to do today is we're going to look at this a little bit. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And uh, I wish I could get to everything, but I'm just going to do the best I can. We'll start in Matthew, and uh, we'll look at John and what John was preaching. Creepy John, if you've watched The Chosen. Remember John, crazy, out in the desert, eating bugs? Anybody? No? Am I the only one knows John? Yeah? Okay. So John... His ministry was going on, and he says this thing. He points to the future, and he says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. John's ministry and his preaching was a repentance ministry. It was turn from your sin, turn back to God. So he's always preaching about that, but he says, someone is coming soon who's greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be a slave or to carry his sandals. He's pointing to someone else. Who's he pointing to? Jesus. And he, he coins this phrase as he begins to tell us what Jesus is going to do. It's a phrase that we all know and love, but I want to make sure we understand the phrase properly because I think this phrase that John the Baptist coins is misused a lot. So here's what he says next. He says, he, the one that's coming, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Boy, we like the sound of that. And we use that all the time. We want that. We want the fire of the Holy Spirit. But I want to say, I want to be fired up with and by and for the Holy Spirit. I want that. But I don't want this. Let me show you why, because he describes this. John himself says he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, and then here's his definition. He, Jesus, is ready to, look at this, separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. So when John is pointing to Jesus, he's giving us a picture of the whole work of what Jesus is going to be doing, that he's going to baptize you with the Spirit. He's going to deliver the Holy Spirit to us, and he is going to conduct his judgment upon sinners. I just want to make sure we don't... You see how easy it is to take a fragment and to build a theology? I, I just want to be careful. I want all of this, every experience of this I can get, but I want to stay away from this in this instance. Does that make sense? And I want you to, to know as much about the Holy Spirit as possible. I want you to know him and experience him, but man, I want you far from the fire because the fire's coming and it's not for you. You hear me? The fire's coming, and it's not for you. The Holy Spirit is for you. And the Holy Spirit wants to indwell you, as Stephen was saying earlier. He wants to live in you, express himself through you. He wants to change everything about you, and he wants to change everything around you. 
He wants so much for you, but not fire. He wants you far from this fire. In Acts 1, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's sending them on their mission before he leaves to return to his throne. And he says to them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that he promised, as I told you before. John, remember John, creepy John, he pointed to this day. I'm pointing to this day now too. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, Jesus says, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is pointing us to that outlier date, Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit comes on all the believers, right? So he's pointing us to that. He wants us to experience the Holy Spirit. So how do, you, how do you get that? How do you get that? Because, you know, frankly, you don't have that. It's not in you, naturally. You are born spiritually like this empty coffee mug. No spirituality about you. The scripture says that you and I are lovingly designed in the image of God, to look like him, act like him, talk like him, to be like him. You are a person, body, mind, and spirit. The problem is that because you are born into this corrupt, broken bloodline, you're born without one of those components. You got body, you got mind, but spiritually, you're dead. Spiritually, you're dead. There's nothing there. That's the missing piece. That's the thing that's been stolen from us by the enemy, the accuser. And so God's desire is to make you whole again, to fill you with himself. You don't have spirit of your own, so he wants to fill you with his spirit. Does that make sense? But you can't have that on your own because you in your broken, corrupt bloodline you are born a criminal against God. You're supposed to be like him, but you're a criminal against him. You, you know you're a sinner. I know you're a sinner. I was a two-year-old once, weren't you? Huh. You were a teenager once. Huh? You had those earlier spring breaks at one time. You remember those. Tell me those were pleasing to God. You and I both know it, that we are criminals against a holy God. We're sinners against him, and the wages of our sin is death. Not only are we separated from him, but we're destined for eternal judgment, wheat and chaff. And God is gonna consume us with his fire, and not in a good way, but nothing but a bad way, except for the fact that God so loved this world, me and you, that he sent his only son. And Jesus came here, and Jesus took all the blame for everything that you ever did back in high school, everything you ever did back in college, everything you ever did in that first marriage, everything you ever did in business. And here's the thing. He took the punishment, the blame and the punishment for those, but he also took the blame and the punishment for all the things you don't even know you're gonna do yet. He took all the blame and the punishment for the sins that you haven't even dreamed up yet. He took it all on himself. God the Father blamed the Son and punished the Son for what you and I had done. 
This ought to break us. It ought to humble us. And he dies. He pays the price. The wages of sin is death. So Jesus dies for me and for you on that cross. And they bury him. And three days later, he rises again. And now he enters into me and you. He steps into our life. He fills us with his spirit because he's making all things new. And he gives us new life. And he's changing you from who you used to be into who he dreams for you to become. Somebody ought to say amen to that. That's what I love about him. And so here's the thing, here's the thing. I, I wanna show you in the scripture, as I, as I look across all of scripture, um, here's three things that I've kind of gleaned from looking at all of scripture, okay? The first one is the next blank on your page. The first one is if you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you. If you're in Christ, the Spirit is in you. What do you think you live by? How do you think you live a life that is pleasing to God? You can't do it in and of yourself. You need something else. You need some strength that you don't have. You need to be empowered spiritually by the Holy Spirit. It's Him that lives in you and gives you the ability to do anything, anything that pleases God. If you're in Christ, the Spirit is in you. In fact, look at this in Matthew 28. You know this. We call it the Great Commission. Jesus tells his disciples, he gives them their assignment. He gives me and you our assignment. He says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. How can Jesus give us instructions that he knows we can't obey on our own unless there's something else he's gonna do in our lives? He's giving us the spirit so that we can accomplish what he's called us to do. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians 1, one of my favorite passages, he says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. How many spiritual blessings? Every spiritual blessing. Two, three, five, ten, every spiritual blessing. Your Father in heaven is not some greedy, stingy, hold back on you. Okay, you just have to pray the right prayer. You just have to say the right things. You just have to do enough good stuff. You just keep working hard, and then we'll see what I give you. He's not some stingy jerk of a dad. He has everything for you. And when you come into Christ, he just unleashes it all into your life. There is nothing that he's holding back from you. Thank you, one or two ameners. Woo, need some spirit up in here. I am thrilled that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Why? Because we are united with Christ. It's because of Jesus, not because of you. It's because of Jesus. In Romans 8, uh, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. We've read this passage the last several weeks. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. Even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. Because you've been made right by Jesus with God, you have the Spirit 
giving you life. Romans 8 also says, therefore, brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You hear me? You're free from those old habits. You're free from that addiction. You got no obligation to it. And you know, you are not bound to it at all. You have been given power to walk in freedom from all of that old junk. No obligation whatsoever to do it. If you live by its dictates, the sinful nature's dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Walk free. Walk in power. Walk in joy. Dude, walk in privilege because you are a child of the King. And He gives you every spiritual blessing in His kingdom. I love this 1 Corinthians 12. There are two, there are, sorry, there are not two. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we all serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us, each of us, Lee Kent, each of us has a different spiritual gift. You got yours, Elena's got hers, and I got mine. Lee, I could never do what you do. I, I could never, I could never do, you stand up here, well, you stand up here, and, <laughs> sorry, I know, you get tired of that. You gotta get tired of that. But you stand up here, and not today, but you play that guitar, and it's just a blessing to me when I see you exercising the spiritual gift of leading people in worship the way you do? What a, what a blessing that is. I mean, I, I need that. I see that in you. And, you know, I remember, I remember, I hope it's okay for me to tell everybody this, you were a little hesitant to jump in on that. You, at first, you were like, well, you know, I want to play, but I don't know if I should play. I, uh, and you, you really, I tell you, I remember, I remember you kind of wavering on that some. And I'm so proud and I'm so blessed by you because you have jumped in and dude, when you play up here, dude, I'm worshiping because I know that it's not simply the fact that you just have skills, but you have a heart surrendered to God. I'm not sure if I wanna do this or not, but he's calling me to, so I will worship him. I will serve him. I will obey him. And dude, that right there, that is you exercising your spiritual gift. Thank you for doing that. I really appreciate it, Lee. I didn't think people were going to applaud you, but dude, that's awesome. You know, I, there's Aubrey right back there. Aubrey, you got your gift, and I could never do that. You know, I, I feel like I know what my gifts are, and I try to lean into them as much as I can, but what you do, I could never do. You get with people who are at their greatest point of pain in their life, suffering from the loss of a loved one, and you arrange all the things necessary to put their funeral and burial into place and to ease their cares and their burdens, to listen to them 
and to speak love into their lives. I've watched you do that over and over again. And dude, that is a spiritual gift that you have from God. And we are all better for what you do. And we're very, very grateful that you do that all the time. Thank you for leaning into your spiritual gift that way. It's amazing. It is amazing to see that happen. I love it. Yeah, come on, give her a hand. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, you see me looking around the room. I'm just gonna call my friend Mike out again because Mike loves our church services so much. This is his second one to attend this morning. <laughs> but he's here, so I'm gonna call you out again. This guy, this guy over here, I remember when, when Mike, when you first attended our church, you just kind of thought it was a cool church. Pastor doesn't know how to dress on Sunday mornings, and the band kicks here, you know? So it was awesome. And that was about as much as you were in on this, I think, is you just thought it was a cool thing. I'm just going to kind of try this out. But today, today, this guy right now, currently at the moment, he's serving on our safety team. He doesn't just like attending multiple church services. He's here to watch you. That's right. He's looking at you the whole time. He's on our safety team, and he's making sure nobody collapses in here. He's making sure if something bad happens, that you get the care and attention that you need immediately. Dude, that safety team, they're trained on CPR and how to use the, uh, uh, the, uh, the shock your back to your system. Yeah, the AED back there. They're trained on how to get people out in case there's a fire. Uh, we've had people, we've had people in our service during the worship collapse unconscious and they get taken care of and loved on and we don't even know it happened. It's because of our safety team that you serve on all the time. And not only that, but you um, have stepped in and are filling in for Dan, who's out of town, uh, long-term, and you're currently leading our ministry to men as they build this group. Yes, amen, Brent. They're building and getting ready to open this up to everybody, and they're about to expand in a huge way to everybody. It's just going to be awesome, and you're doing that, dude. And I remember you were a little resistant to all that at first, too. You know, you were like, I'm not sure about this, but the thing I've seen about you, Mike, is you're like, whatever he tells me, I'm just going to do it. I'm just, I'm just tired of living in disobedience. And you've discovered that the power of the Holy Spirit is in surrendering to him and saying, I will obey, and I will do whatever he calls me to do. So thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that. I only got part of the way through this verse, so I'm gonna try to get through the rest of it. A spiritual gift is given to each of us, to each of us, so that we can help each other. You know, I could probably go ahead and continue to call out name after name after name of people in this room who are exercising their spiritual gifts for my benefit. I, I, it helps me to see you exercising your gifts so a spiritual gift is given to all of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It's the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should 
have. So God's not holding back. He's given you everything he wants you to have in Christ. And he wants you to exercise it to help those around you. First thing is, uh, is the Holy Spirit is in you. Second thing I can learn from looking around in Scripture, I'm taking a long time, is that there is one baptism. There's one baptism. I know there's some in, in some camps that say, no, there's two, there's a water and there's a spirit baptism. Uh, but I'm saying that the Scripture is pretty clear that there's one. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says, some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit. And we all share the same spirit. If you're a Christian, the spirit is in you and there's one baptism. I, I'm gonna move on because I know I'm taking a long time. Next thing I've, I can learn from looking all throughout scripture is the next blank. The signs came early, but the fruit took a season. The signs came early, but the fruit took a season. You know, at first, when the Holy Spirit came, it was all about the signs. He was showing the signs so much because remember, there was no Bible, no New Testament at that time. There was no network of churches. There was no, you know, 2,000 years of tradition. So to validate the message and the messenger, the Spirit showed a bunch of signs. But I think in doing so, he was in the process of planting a garden so that later something much better could be shown and that's the fruit of the Spirit. You know, when you first plant your garden, first thing you do is you, you put all your seeds out there and then you put the little post with the little signs on each one so you remember what you planted where, right? And those signs are really important because that way that's how you know what's cultivated in each thing. But by the end of the season, you don't need those signs anymore because you can look at what's growing there and you can tell the difference between corn and green beans. You can tell the difference between tomatoes and watermelons. Am I right? You can see the fruit. Now, Steve, are you a cessationist? Do you believe the signs are gone and over? No, I believe they're fully active today, but I believe that the way the Spirit worked predominantly in Acts was with signs, but the way he works predominantly today is through the fruit that he's cultivating in each of our lives. Right In Colossians, you look, at, you look at some of the way these very apostles who were there and identified and described in Acts, you look at what they prescribed later as they themselves wrote about it. In Colossians 3, Paul says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, a slave or free, Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. He's talking about this new life that he wants you to live. He wants you to walk it out for it to be what your life looks like so that Christ is all that matters in this new life and let him live in and through you. It's the new life. And I just want to say just a quick commercial. Right after this service, I'm teaching the new life class. And maybe you haven't been through that before, but the New Life class, I, I'd really love to invite you to this. If you haven't been through it, it's great because we talk about this. We talk about what it looks like to walk out the New Life. It's a very practical class. 
We talk about what it really even means to become a Christian, what it means to be baptized. We talk about the spiritual growth unlock key. Yeah, because there's a key to unlocking real spiritual growth. We talk about the spiritual growth engine because I really believe that Jesus gave us some things that if you practice these things on a repetitive basis, it's like an engine that's firing spiritual growth in your life. And when it's all said and done, and after this class today, it's less than two hours long, uh, when it's all said and done, uh, we'll actually sit down with you and help you write out your salvation testimony. Because everybody's got a testimony, including you. If you're in Christ, you got a testimony. And the problem is that when you ask someone to share their testimony, people don't know what to say. They don't know where to begin. And then the bigger problem is when they tell you their testimony, they want to take two hours to do it. <laughs> And so we kind of help you work it down into a nine-sentence format so that if you're ever in a spot where you have an opportunity to share your faith, you can do so in just a few minutes. It's a powerful tool for you, and it's the new life class. It's normally an RSVP thing, but dude, if you haven't been through it, just come to that class with me today. It's right after this service, upstairs in the loft, and we'll even give you lunch. So I hope it'll be a good thing for you today. The new life class. Paul goes on in Galatians 5, and he says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. He's talking about living it out, letting it ex be uh, expressed through you. And then in Ephesians 5, Paul says this. This is really interesting. I wish I had time to really dwell on this, but I gotta wrap it up soon. He says, be careful how you live. He's talking about walking out the new life in another passage, and he's saying, listen, I want you to experience the Holy Spirit's power in your life. Here's how. Be careful how you live. And then he goes into this thing where he really shows us how to take careful, intentional steps. So he says, here's how he says to be careful how you live. He says, don't live like fools. Duh. Right, don't live like fool. Don't be a fool. Don't be stupid in your life. But, he says, live like those who are wise. Don't be a fool, but be wise. You see what he's doing? He's kind of drawing out the difference between spirit-filled life and non-spirit-filled life, between foolishness and wisdom. Then he says this, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. He's still continuing with his contrast. He's contrasting evil with you making the most of opportunity. Boy, these days are getting pretty evil, aren't they? I mean, have you noticed the days are getting pretty evil? I mean, you just watch the news, you watch the media, the days are getting evil, but he's telling you that you have freedom from all that stuff, and so you have the ability to make the decisions to be a wise, watchful servant and to invest into the kingdom in your life rather than be swept away by the evil days. He continues, and he says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Be discerning, be understanding, know what God wants for you. 
He's been very clear about what he wants for you in his word. And his Holy Spirit speaks into our lives. And you can hear his voice if you know how to listen. He goes on and he says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, again, he's drawing this contrast. He's showing the opposites. <coughs> don't be drunk with wine. That's ruinous. It's foolishness. You don't need that. And I know, I know there's some Christian camps out there that teach that what he's saying here is don't be drunk with wine. So instead, you know, get hammered in the spirit. That don't act like a fool because of alcohol, but you can act like a fool in the spirit, you know, and I don't know, all kinds of crazy. And t to me, I, I, I know that's what some of them teach, but I can't line that up in this passage of Scripture when I look through Ephesians because he's drawing contrast about opposites here, and he's saying don't be drunk with wine, but instead be careful how you live. Be wise. Make good decisions. Take every opportunity. Invest for the kingdom. Be filled. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, this is Paul talking. Paul, the one who went to the Samaritans, Samaritans and he laid hands on them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's Paul, the one who was there and did that. And he doesn't say pursue a second work that you don't have because God's holding out on you. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Know Him and cultivate Him in your life. Does that make sense? I said this was the last one, but I actually got one more I want to pull out. John says this, not creepy John the Baptist, but Apostle John in 1 John 4 says, God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, you can see him. No one's ever seen him, but if we love each other, that's where God is. He lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. God is evident in our love. John, John, the one that went with Peter and laid hands on those Gentiles in Cornelius' house, and they were uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. John doesn't say, go chasing down some second work. He says, love is the indicator. I want to see God in you, and the way I see him is when you love one another. He could have written, nope, I, I want you to go. Wait till I come to you and lay hands on you, then you will receive him. That's not what he says. He writes in total agreement with Jesus himself, who says they will know you by the love that you have for each other. Huh? So be filled with the Spirit. Let him live in and through you. Love each other because love is the identifier last blank on your page my prayer for you is that you will be filled with the spirit good grief it's late and i'm sorry 
I got to wrap this up, but I just want you to experience his presence and his power. I don't want you to be fooled and chasing after just the experience. I want you to have all of the experiences that God wants to give you by filling you with himself and letting you experience his presence and his power in your life so that you can become the person that he's designed you to be. 